0: about her book, All Are Welcome, How to Build a Real Workplace Culture of Inclusion that Delivers Results. Cynthia O'Young, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the San Francisco area, and I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about inclusion in the workplace, specifically your book, All Are Welcome, How to Build a Real Workplace Culture of Inclusion that Delivers Results. There's so much research out there about the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, both the the business case for it, the human case for it. We'll get into a lot of that as we have our conversation today. And I like how you focused on having that real workplace culture, um, but also a results-driven culture so that we can really we can have both. We, We can have a safe, psychologically safe, welcoming place for everyone to bring their whole authentic self to work and contribute in meaningful ways, but we can also make sure that there are really good, positive results from all of our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging efforts. So this is what we'll be discussing together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Cynthia's bio with everybody. Cynthia O'Young Young is Robinhood's Vice President of Inclusion, Equity, and Belonging, partnering with, with business leaders, employee resource groups, and the People Experience team to support Robinhood's mission to democratize finance for all. Cynthia is also the founder of Breaking Glass Forums, developing strategies to accelerate diverse leadership in inclusive organizations. She has established and led diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives for over 15 years as an executive at organizations in multiple industries, including Charles Schwab, GitHub, and Yahoo. Wonderful to have you, a tremendous background. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your personal context or story before we dive on into the conversation?
1: Absolutely, John. Um, You know, uh, I think the professional background is one thing. um, But for many people who are in the field of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, like myself, the personal background matters just as much. Um, And so for you know, for what I tell many folks when I do this work, one of the reasons that I'm in it is because I'm an Asian woman. I uh, am the daughter of immigrants. I'm first generation born here in the US. Um, I have a brother who is gay. I have another brother who is developmentally disabled. Um, My father served in the Air Force. I've got a family, two kids, right? So I've got all the protected classes Covered in my immediate family Um, and growing up with all of that influence has really given me the sharpened sense of empathy for other lived experience and um, a desire to correct for inequities that I've seen right I've grown up seeing people um you know underestimate my brother who is disabled. I've grown up seeing people who am spewing hate at my brother who is gay for no reason other than who he loves. Right. And so that's um a, a really a strong motivator for me for why I do this work.
0: Yeah thank you for that background and and I much of what you just said resonates with me. Now I'm clearly I'm a straight cisgender white dude. Um I'm so I, I don't personally have um some of those different uh, elements of diversity, but within my family and close circle, uh, I, I do, and that resonates with me. And, and uh, for example, one one of uh, the things you just mentioned was your disabled sibling. Uh, I have the same, and so growing up uh, with a sister who was just a few years older than me and was developmentally challenged in so many ways, um, physically and mentally, uh, and to see how she was treated, really. I don't know. It kind of just shoved into me like this this sense for equity and justice, <laughs> and and to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves, who don't have a voice, right? Um, and and so I, I admit, you know, my privilege, and I come from this. I come to this conversation from a place of privilege, um, but I, I do also come from a place of, of lived experience where I've seen the pain um, and the, the challenges and the hurt that people have had to deal with. Uh, based you know on on just their their background their upbringing their their uh, whatever protected class you might talk about so uh, I think this will be a great conversation I really appreciate your work in this space your commitment to diversity equity and inclusion uh, and creating cultures and safe places of belonging for everyone we need it more than ever and uh, so this will be a fun conversation as we get started why don't you tell us, about why uh, you you wrote the book. Um, Clearly, you're passionate about all of this, so I'm sure that's part of it. Um, But why this book? Why now?
1: Great question. So um, a couple of reasons for the book and now. Um, I think in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder back in 2020, right, we saw this um, outpouring of focus and support on um, how to drive more racial equity um, worldwide, right, not just here in the US. Um, And uh, you saw companies really coming out and stating um, their commitments uh, to driving more social justice uh, inside their organizations and in the world at large. Um, and so there was this, this huge focus, right, on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, just in general, that spurred a lot of action in this space. And so I saw that and I thought, you know, this this is um, really a time for organizations who are, you um, trying to do their best, but don't really know what to do, right, in this space, um, and, and see if I could put something out there that could help them, right? Um, and then the second reason is that, like, for me, like, I've, I've always been one person, sometimes with a team, sometimes not, right, operating within a, a single organization to try to drive this work. Um, and there's, you know, so there's limits to what you can do right in in that kind of a role and um with that backdrop and context of what was going on in the world it just seemed like there's an opportunity to really scale the impact that I could have right in driving change beyond just sort of my proverbial four walls that I was in and and using the book to help you know drive more leverage not just for myself but for anyone who's really trying um, to drive progress in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in their organizations, and so um, that that's really sort of the origins of the why behind the book. Like I've I have you know been in this space for close to twenty years at this point. I've learned a lot along the way. Um, and I'm hopeful that the lessons that I've learned um, you know I can impart in the book and and help others kind of avoid some of the mistakes so that we can again accelerate even further and faster, farther.
0: I love that further, faster, farther because we have come a long way in the last couple of decades, but there's so much farther we need to go. And like you said, the, the social con- context under which you know the, the George Floyd moment happened, really shown a light on how far yet we have to go there are still so many challenges and problems and uh you know I, I just think of the last five years as really just being a wake-up call for a lot of people who thought oh things are getting better things are you know we're, we're really in a in a much better place well it turns out um we we aren't as far as we thought we might have been uh and and there's a lot of work left to do so i appreciate your commitment to this uh, and I'm excited to to dive on in. Why don't you uh, break down for us some of those key elements um, in the book? We don't have time to talk about everything in the book, but if there's anything that you would really like to highlight or you know, two or three uh, main uh, components that you, you feel are most essential to convey uh, as we go throughout the rest of this conversation, why don't you go ahead and, and share those?
1: Definitely. I think, you know, there's, there's a few things that I think are really important for people to recognize. Um, one being that this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, is not just about talent. I think a lot of people, particularly who are in um, human capital management, um, automatically go to that place of, okay, is it, you know, I need to, like, figure out how to hire more people from diverse backgrounds into my organization. Um, And and it's not just about hiring. It's not just about talent. It has to be, um, I think one of the points that I try to make in the book is that you have to really look at this holistically from a core strategy perspective. Like how does diversity, equity, inclusion um, matter to your business? right? And and how do you weave that throughout all aspects of your business and culture's DNA to really drive holistic change? Because just focusing on talent, I think we've done that, honestly, for 20, 40 years now, and it hasn't driven that much change. So we have to do something different moving forward. We've got to think about this more broadly in terms of Um, the customers we serve, the products that we're developing, the services that we're providing, um, you know, how does that all relate to equity and inclusion? And how are we serving diverse needs across the board in our processes and systems that we've set up? Um, Talent plays a huge role in that. But if we're not thinking strategically about that from a marketplace perspective, we're kind of missing that opportunity to tie it all together into a virtuous cycle. So I think like that's Yeah. yeah, absolutely one of the the key things that people need to um, really take away from from the book i i, I
0: really like that the, the virtuous cycle and as you're talking i'm thinking about social impact works so that's a space that i do a lot of work um, and there's a lot of different ways of framing up social impact but i think diversity equity and inclusion inclusion and this belonging conversation is a big piece of of driving positive social change and it's absolutely necessary and so if we're really trying to have you know create this systemic change this virtual cycle as you call it we want to drive social broader social impact beyond just you know, kind of the traditional diversity metrics that we might see in relation to talent and human capital within an organization. So that's what I'm hearing you say. I completely agree. Um, there's so much more. Like, just take for example, social impact investing. Um, how how are companies really committing their resources towards? Um, providing products and services to the consumer, and how do they invest their capital? Uh, That's a huge question, and there's tons of potential there uh, to do more.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you look at the examples that some companies are now starting to set in this space, thinking beyond Right. Um, Just their talent to like the broader ecosystem that they can impact, Um, like the Nasdaq, they have a new rule uh, of um, companies that are listing right they have to have um, diverse boards. Right, Um, uh, Goldman Sachs has said that there will only underwrite IPOs in companies that have diversity on their boards. Um, State Street that does something similar with their Fearless Girl campaign, um, where they encourage more diversity and gender diversity on their boards uh, of of companies that they invest in. Right, and then you have on the other end of the spectrum all of the employee activists that are now, you know, coming to their leaders and demanding change um, beyond customer share, uh, activism and shareholder activism right all of these influences people are looking for us to to for companies and organizations to really do more because they see other institutions failing us in this space.
0: We look forward to having you join us. And, so, that, and that, that's an interesting point too, if I if I can just double-click on that for a second. So for example, younger millennials and Gen Z workers, there, there's been a lot of attitudinal attitudinal uh, surveys and studies on this that show a, a, a heightened sense of distrust in traditional institutions <laughs> among those groups. so particularly particularly government institutions. Um, and so when they when you talk to a younger millennial or Gen Z about social change, for example, and you ask them, how is that going to happen, predominantly, they say it's going to happen through business, through uh, through the organizations', um, like yours and mine, who are hopefully trying to make a positive social impact. And, you know, is that true? Well, it, it's, it's complicated, right? There's, there's multiple um, pathways of social impact in government and, and uh, nonprofits and uh, various institutions all play a role. And so I don't want to throw all those out, obviously, but it just, it demonstrates this kind of distrust of institutions, particularly among younger um, individuals, and the need for businesses, for corporations to really up their game and to leverage their capacity to drive positive social impact and social change. So anyways, you were just saying that I just wanted to reemphasize that a little bit because I think that's a really, really important point.
1: Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you doubled down on on that point, because it is really important, Um, and you know, and that's what I love actually about this like younger generation um, and their attitudes towards diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging like they just expect it right um and and so it's it's kind of like any company that isn't working on this space and i make this point in the book too like what are you doing like why aren't you (laughs) like what kind of future do you see for yourself if you're not like you know um catering to a more diverse world like we are globalized right now and you know the um every successive generation is, is more diverse racially, ethnically than the generation before, right? And, and so, you know, this is not something that we can ignore if we want to position our organizations for not just hiring great talent in the future, um, but serving our, you know, more diverse marketplaces and customers as well. So um, it's it's really important that um, I think to your, what you said earlier, like organizations need to step up because it's, it's, we have, higher expectations
0: now. Yeah. And I would love for for organizations to step up just out of their generous nature and that they want to make the world a better place. But even if you put put aside like the social benefits and the, the human case for all of this, just the, the bottom line dollars and cents reality is that if if companies don't embrace this, if they don't do this, they're not Going to attract good people to their business uh, in terms of employees. And they're, they're really going to shoot themselves in the foot in terms of their customer base. <laughs> so the, the bottom line, dollars and cents, you know, business case of all of this is yeah, you better start doing it if you aren't already and really um, be committed to it.
1: Definitely. And, you know, and I think, you know, there's there's also it's also important not to lose the fact that it's worth talking about human beings right? Um, and I think as human beings, we all want to do the right thing. Um, and uh, recognizing that we, we do have an impact on people's experiences, right? Through every sort of policy that we make inside a company to the practices that we have. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I often hear is, you know, uh, it's like, well, you know, we've, we've like grown organically and we've got some great diversity because we, we actually um, haven't had some sort of singular focus because we all care about it and, and it's just sort of coming out in, in that way. And, um, and I think that, that that can only take organizations so far. Right. Um, So, yes, it might be great that you have some diversity today, but what are you missing out on by not being intentional about it? Right. Um, And you can point to, okay, like you're a really successful company today without necessarily having focused on it. But is that always going to be the case in the future? Right. Um, and so I think we, we tend to look at it uh, as sort of our definition of success by what we've done, as opposed to like, what do we need to do next to continue to evolve and grow and be more successful in the future? Right. Because I think we're missing out on having the right um, level of perspective at the table if we're not intentionally focusing on bringing that perspective in.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. And and trying to look to the future, in terms of what inclusion and belonging means and what it will look like and what the future of work demands from organizations, that's really essential, rather than dragging our feet, you know, kind of being dragged along to play catch up for what we should have been doing all along. And that's honestly what a lot of organizations are doing. And I, I think, for example, I don't want to throw anyone specifically under the bus, but I'm a university professor and I do consulting work as well. Um, and at my university, uh, recently there there was a, a case uh, where I, where I was uh, I was working with a, a particular department who was going through the hiring process for a new faculty position, and this was a STEM position, um, and we know that STEM is disproportionately male dominated, and that's certainly the case in higher ed, and that's certainly the case in this department at this university. And so, you know, we, we made a very conscious effort to, to broaden the the pool, uh, try to get as many uh, great diverse applicants into the pool as possible. And to their credit, they did that. So those metrics look good. They they did a good job there. Where they totally fell flat was they did not interview a single woman or person of color in the entire interview process. Um, And they claimed that, race and gender had nothing to do with it that they were just picking the the most qualified people and all I can do is shake my head you know I'm just like what in the world is happening here this is not okay and in their mind you know they had done their due diligence they had made sure they had a diverse pool and then they felt like they had given everyone a, a fair shot and then Chose to interview people. Um, then of course that led to conversations about bias and how you go about the screening process and choosing how, you know, what's most important to focus in on and all those sorts of things that get into the nitty-gritty of like the systems of oppression and inequities and, and those sorts of things. And my point in all of this, again, not to th- necessarily throw this department under the bus or anything, but the the these systems are ingrained and they have to be actively disrupted if we hope to have positive long-term change and it's not enough to just say, well, organically things are happening fine. Uh, this is a case where, you know, this institution, this department in particular, they're, they're not only lagging. I mean, it was, it was very, very sad uh, to see how this was playing out. And they're, I mean, they're lagging decades behind in, in terms of their mentality and their approach and their ability to, to really attract, uh, diversity and, and really have an inclusive um, culture within the department. There's so much work to do. So we need to, of course, get up to speed, but then we need to be looking to the future. And if we're not, yeah, we're, we're going to be so far behind the eight ball uh, and it's only going to hurt our teams and our organizations, not to mention all of those disadvantaged individuals who didn't even get a fair shot or a, a good look in the first place.
1: Yeah. um, I love that example for so many reasons, John, because I think, you know, you're pointing out a couple of different things that I think are really important for any, anyone who's in a position of power to make change, like needs to pay attention to, right? One being, how do I define success? Like, you know, what am I looking for in terms of like capability for this role? Um, And, uh, and, you know, am I just sort of leaning on old tropes? Right. Or existing definitions. Or am I thinking about this in a way that's really um, uh, unique to my organization, our needs now and moving forward into the future? Right. Um, and, And so, you know, am I really defining the requirements for the role in a way that is allowing for inclusion? To happen, so I, I think that's a really important point one, and I, I think the second piece of this is is just like you know very often when we look at candidates that we're evaluating and we compare them to each other, right? Um, uh, and you know you you have some set of qualifications that you're assessing all these candidates against, and there's there's always going to be somebody who seems like they tick more of those boxes right? And more often than not, that somebody tends to be in the majority group because they have had more opportunity to be able to tick those boxes, right?
0: Well, Um, and the very boxes that they choose to include that need to be ticked are in their, it's leaning their direction already anyways, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. Back to the whole, like, how are you defining the role requirements and success, Right. Um, And I think what often gets lost in the conversation and and clearly wasn't part of the initial conversation within that department was, you know, what what do we need from a departmental level? What do we need from a team level? Like, what are we um, missing in terms of a perspective that can make us all better? Right, as opposed to just like one to one comparison of like one candidate qualifications to another, um, because when you do that one to one, like it's really hard to justify. And then you get down that rat hole of, well, you know, just because this person's a woman, does that mean I need to hire them? Well, no, but that woman might bring a really different perspective that you're missing in the organization that is going to help you actually excel you know, in either, you know, being empathetic with your students or, you know, in the university case or, you know, being able to help you um, provide marketing insight to, you know, your customers who might be, you know, uh, have some percentage who are women, right, or whatever the, the, the reasoning can be, like, you have to, like, draw that line, right, to to how that perspective is going to be helpful for you. And that's the thing that, that I think people need to think more about and focus on um, when they're making decisions around who comes in, like as part of the in-group versus who is out.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. Well, Cynthia, this has just been a really fun conversation. We've only scratched the surface. There's so much more. And so everyone needs to go get your book so they can (laughs) learn more about all of this. Um, Before we wrap up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your book, and then give us a final word on the topic for today
1: everyone can connect with me um, uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Cindy O. Young um, and buy my book through my website, Cynthiaoyoung.com. It has all the links to all the places that you can buy it. And um, especially if you support uh, independent bookstores, I'd encourage folks to to go there. Um, And uh, I would say the last word on this topic is uh, don't be afraid to do something different than what you've been doing in this space, right? I think um, a lot of us come to this with a fear of like doing something wrong or offending somebody inadvertently. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that if you take the effort to actually like get educated and get some insight and genuinely, authentically are curious about other people, um, you will be given some grace in that respect. Um, But it shouldn't be an excuse to not do anything. Like we have to do something and it's better to do something than nothing.
0: Yes, absolutely agree. And again, I'm a, a straight cisgender white dude. I have all the privileges I don't really have any sort of diversity, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm part of the dominant, uh, you know, privileged group and, and, uh, it's something that I try to be engaged in. And I'm sure that I say dumb things sometimes, or that I, I am insensitive or, or put my foot in my mouth, um, on occasion, those sorts of things, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best to get into the space, to try to support those who need support, to give voice to those who need a voice. Um, And there's no excuse for me to not do that. And, and so I just echo what you said, you know, like, let's, let's all try to get engaged and involved in the work. It's super important. And ultimately, that will give us the best chance of, of driving change when collectively we all work at it together.
1: Thank you so much for that, John, and thank you for your allyship.
0: Well, it's it's a pleasure. I do the best I can and know how. It's been a pleasure, Cynthia, to be with you. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Cynthia can do for you. Check out her book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.